It's now time for us to read the Bible together. So if you could turn to page seven, please, of your zines. And the first reading is from Psalm 119, starting at verse 25. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. And Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Two great passages for us to hear and reflect on this afternoon as um, we explore uh, this topic. Um, my name's Craig, I'm the minister here, and um, if I haven't been able to say hi to you yet, and especially if you're new with us, welcome, and I do hope that uh, you feel encouraged and uh, challenged, uplifted, the whole range of things that happens when we get together and we reflect on uh, our good and generous God. And so I pray that that might be experience for you again this afternoon as we meet together. Um, towards at the end of these reflections, and we do this sort of every two or three weeks, we're going to have an opportunity for any questions or comments um, and so Chris will go around with the microphone, and if there's anything that you want sort of clarification on or um, you want to share or anything like that, we'll have a little bit of space to do that after the sermon. So if something comes up and you want to bring it up, please write it down in your zines. 
Uh, I'm going to be praying for us now just that God will be present amongst us, comforting us, um, teaching us, and uh, leading us to continue to grow as a loving community, which I think is what Jesus' communities are. That's their shape, and we want to keep growing into that shape. So uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for a time in our week to get together with our brothers and sisters and to reflect on your word to us and also to reflect upon the lives that you've given us. Please speak to us, each one of us, whatever we need to hear this afternoon. We ask that you'll be at work amongst us collectively, that we might be a loving space for uh, people in Sydney to come and uh, share. And so guide us in what that looks like for each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As Chris said earlier, I've chosen to call the series that we're doing at the moment Messy Faith um, because I do think it's a true description of the Christian journey. Uh, I'm not sure about your particular story, um, but I think real faith is messy because our lives are complex. Uh, Real faith is messy because real faith involves the whole person, not just the kind of nice bits, but all of us, warts and all. Real faith is messy because uh, change can be hard. And I guess the alternative, though, to a messy faith in this sort of conceptual framework would be a clean faith, Uh, a clean faith that has all the answers, a clean faith that just sort of glosses over the ugly bits and pretends they're not there, A clean faith that presents all of life as always good, all of the time. But of course, this is not our experience of life. Uh, And it certainly isn't the experience of the lives recorded for us in the Bible. I think a clean faith leads us often to just trust in ourselves and the image that we project. Uh, Whereas a messy faith leads us to humbly trust in Jesus and to seek to be open about who we are in and through him. Our mantra in these five weeks comes from the Apostle Paul in the opening letter to the Philippians, and he writes these words. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think nowhere is this promise more needed than in the experience of depression. I think as we begin today, it's worth orientating ourselves to this concept of mental health that we sort of launched into last week. In its most basic form, mental health uh, is defined often in terms of relationships and the capacity we have to connect with ourselves, with others, and the world around us. And so therefore, mental illness is a term most commonly used in healthcare to describe sort of the spectrum of cognitive, emotional, behavioral conditions that interfere with our ability to relate well to ourselves, others, and the world around us. They're categorized in different ways, of course, but they include anxiety, depression, trauma, addiction, and others. And I guess that's what part of these five weeks are, is just exploring some of these, not all of them even, but just starting to talk and explore and touch on these. As a person made in the very image of God, 
which is one of the foundational truths of the Bible, um, you are indeed an interconnected web of so many things. It's beautiful. Your mind, your emotions, your actions, uh, your locus of meaning, uh, your body, um, your relationships, your daily surroundings. I mean, people give these kind of more technical words, cognitive, emotional, behavioral, spiritual, physical, social, environmental. But we are made up of an interconnected web of many things, all of us. And these do not seem to exist in separate boxes, meaning there are no thick walls between them. So there's no thick wall necessarily between your physical and your emotional, between your social and your cognitive, between your behavioral and your spiritual. Rather, you and I, beautifully, are this interconnected web of all those things. I think, and I say this often, uh, you and I are more like plants than machines. But often it's easy to forget that because we often treat ourselves like machines in the day-to-day work that we have to do. But we really are more like plants. We may water ourselves daily, that's a good thing, but we might neglect the soil we are in, give ourselves no sunlight, allow bugs to crawl on our leaves, and then complain, I water myself every day, but why am I feeling so unhealthy and disconnected? Cognitive, emotional, behavioral, spiritual, physical, social, environmental, all these factors combine to form my interaction with the world that God has made. And it's a beautiful dance. But of course, there are not always a lot of clean lines. And there's also mystery with our interaction with ourselves and others and the world around us. And this kind of leads us into this experience of depression. Uh, Depression is not a new human experience. Uh, It's not something that's been invented in the last 50 years, so drug companies can sell more medication. Um, No, it's, it's it's a long recorded human experience. The experience of depression is documented in some of the earliest extant written documents, one of the oldest medical writings we have from 1500 BC, talks about this sort of experience that we would probably identify as depression. We have references to depression in the uh, Old Testament, usually using the metaphor of being in the pit or in the grave. It's written of by Greek philosophers, early church fathers, even one of my favorite poems written by John Keats in 1890, Ode to Melancholy. Have a read of it. It's a great exploration of this experience. The human experience of uh, depression is certainly not new. Um, Whilst it's true that we all feel sad, moody, or low from time to time, normal human interaction with the world around us, some people will experience these feelings intensely for long periods of time and sometimes for no apparent reason. Uh, They say one in six people will experience depression during their lifetime. Uh, Depression influences not only how you feel but how you think and how you behave and how you interact with others. Uh, You'll notice in your zines this afternoon that an individual's experience of depression really kind of can sit on a spectrum from mild to medium to severe. Different for everyone, really, who experiences it. 
Uh, on the milder end, it seems to be an experience of physical tension, worry, and inability to relax, reduced energy, low moods, kind of constant rumination over problems. One way to think about the less severe forms of depression, um, those that may not fit the proper clinical use of the term, is understanding it, I think, using the language that you are depleted. It's an experience of being depleted. Your normal energy used up by stress and distress, sometimes unresolved sadness and loss. On the severe end, it appears to be more a persistent, persuasive, low mood that is marked by loss of interest and pleasure. Poor concentration, there's a whole range of things people experience, disturbed sleep, altered appetite, loss of confidence, low self-esteem, feelings of just worthlessness, hopelessness, helplessness, Uh, fatigue is often part of it, a loss of energy, pessimism about the future. You can see why some describe it just as darkness, the experience. Uh, Winston Churchill called it his black dog. Others describe it as life just being drained of colour or existence sort of losing its meaning. But regardless, I guess, of the particular experience, the fruit of depression, the fruit of depression is usually disconnection, which is why it sits, I guess, right in the middle of mental health illness. Disconnection from others, you know, I have nothing to bring other people. Disconnection from self, I have no value. Disconnection from the world, what's the point in doing anything? Disconnection from God, you know, he doesn't care, he isn't present. It's interesting to reflect on what causes depression. Um, I believe I'm right in saying that we don't fully know, as in uh, there is no one cause for depression. Uh, The proponents of the biomedical model argue that depression has a genetic basis and it is related to kind of the biochemistry in your brain. The exact mechanisms remain uncertain, but they appear to be linked to either an imbalance or a deficiency of specific neurotransmitters, particularly serotonin and noradrenaline. Proponents of the psychological approach to mental health will argue that the causes are linked more to personality, past experience, current lifestyle, methods of coping. I think there are many different views. Um, But I want to suggest that we probably get ourselves into an unnecessary bind if we lock ourselves into an either-or approach. For more often than not, it's kind of a both-and situation. Uh, From an interview in the briefing some years ago, psychologist Professor Philip Mitchell observed, often there is a mixture of the physical and the psychological. It's very rarely just one or the other. The more I see depression, the more I see a complex interplay between personality the biology of our brains and our life experience. In Christian circles, uh, you may have experienced a whole range of different approaches or responses to caring for people with depression, or maybe an absence of that, who knows? There's so many different responses that you could experience in a Christian community, um, from just, I guess, the, the pray it out approach Um, to perhaps in some circles maybe some sort of the God is punishing you approach, some sort of 
retribution, that if God's there and you're feeling this, that it must be, or perhaps the let's not talk about it and just welcome you back when you have it all sorted approach. Um, I don't know, there's a whole range of different ways. I don't think any of these that I've just mentioned are particularly helpful, um, nor necessarily biblical, although certainly um, being in constant prayer is one key factor. I think what we need to do, as we looked at last week, is actually embrace the research that's been done in helping people with depression. This usually starts with a visit to your local GP, whilst caring relationally and spiritually for our brothers and sisters who find themselves in the darkness. Certainly one of the most common experiences of depression and faith is that it leaves us feeling very distant from God. Uh, We can fear that this is a reflection of our faith, but if you step back for a second, I think the most obvious conclusion is that it's simply an expression of the depressive experience. Remember, we are a complex web of multiple factors, and the experience of depression is often one of disconnection And this doesn't really come in categories. It's just more of a blanket. So you don't feel isolated from work colleagues, but connected to friends. You just feel isolated from both. You often don't feel isolated from your own experience of joy, but connected to God. You often just feel isolated from both. Depression can appear to draw people away from their religious faith, but I think to suggest the person lacks faith is usually really unwise as we walk with someone who is struggling with such low moods. Reminding a friend that their energy is depleted, that their feelings are part of the illness, and that they can depend on the prayers of others while they themselves might be unable to pray can be a way to love them in the darkness drawing them into a network of those who care. If we look at the reflections of the author of Psalm 119, um, which is our first Bible reading, he's in a period of melancholy, I guess what we would put somewhere on that spectrum of depression. Uh, He writes these words, verse 25, he says, I am laid low in the dust. 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Verse 29, keep me from deceitful ways. There's almost a sense in which he knows himself and he knows at this point he is weak to perhaps making poor choices. Interesting though that from this place of despair, the author's prayer is that somehow through all of this, his gaze will find a way to see outside of himself. That he'll know God's decrees. Verse 26, that he'll know God's wonderful deeds, verse 27, that he might be strengthened, not by his own capacity, but by the power of God's word, verse 28. It appears that part of our faith journeys involve remembering in the darkness what we've learned in the light. And I think that's what this psalm captures, remembering in the darkness what we have learned in the light. I wonder, have you ever had the experience of waking up at night and being able to find your way 
directly to the fridge without a single light on. Yeah? Have you ever experienced that? Or it's pitch black, it's 3 a.m. Sometimes you haven't even opened your eyes, but you know your place so well that before you know it, you've got like a little ham sandwich and <laughs> you're just starting to wake up. Or I don't know, perhaps for you it's like the way to the bathroom or something like that. It's incredible how when we see a space and we use it regularly and we're in a rhythm, we can repeat that over time even when the lights are turned off because we just know that space. We remember in the darkness what we learnt in the light. And I think this is part of the Christian journey. Uh, When we experience depression, the colours are drained from everything and we're forced to rely on what we know is true whilst openly admitting that we don't feel it. Nor do we necessarily see it. Throughout the years, this has been referred to by some in Christian circles as the dark night of the soul. And in fact, one of the important things it seems to be able to do is to be able to say what it is you are feeling and be honest about it. And I think sometimes in Christian circles, we get worried about that because we say, no, 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 I have to be able to like, say that I feel it really strongly. No, 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 what what we need to be able to do in our church family is to be able to be honest with each other. This is what I know to be true, but this is how I'm feeling, and there is a disconnect. But it's okay, and it's okay to speak that. I think the whole concept of just feeling low and feeling dark, it can be such an offense to our modern, hectic, everything must be happy, everything must be good, lifestyle. There really is pressure on each one of us to be always happy all the time. And on one level, I kind of want to fight against that because that's more like kind of a scene from the Lego movie than it is life in all its complexity, highs and lows. In fact, these feelings of being low and darkness, it does remind us that our world is broken. This this is not a perfect world. And no amount of high energy or fashionable words or fad diets can protect us from this. Uh, What we yearn for is for Jesus himself to make everything new, as he has promised. But in the meantime, there are seasons where we simply need to endure, knowing that there are things we can do to help the process, but we will need to endure. So seeing our doctor, reassessing our life routines, caring for our health, keeping connected into God's word, even if it's just staying connected with some sort of faith community that you can just sit with. I do love the words from Paul in Romans 8, our second reading today. It's a passage that comes just after the one we read last week, describing the groaning of our world under the brokenness of sin. He writes these words then in verse 31. He says, What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And and here's the thing. I love it. How do you know God is for you? Like, rubbish, throwaway, pie-in-the-sky comment. But Paul says, No, no, no. You can know that God is for you 
Why? Verse 32. Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God is the one who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. As crazy as this sounds, Romans 8 is telling us that you don't have the right to condemn yourself. But you probably will in times of darkness, let's be honest. But the word here is saying, you know what, actually, there's only one who has the right, and that is Jesus. And he doesn't condemn you. In fact, he has given up his life so that through faith in him and not your own goodness, you can actually be a child of God. And his judgment is the one that lasts on the final day. And so you're going to experience a whole range of personal judgments. You'll go through seasons where you feel good about yourself. You're going to go through seasons where you feel terrible about yourself. You're going to go through seasons where you don't feel anything about yourself. But Paul is saying here, there is actually only one judgment that actually matters. And that is the judgment that God has. He goes on to say, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us, be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These words paint the reality of God's love towards you. And we seek to remember in the darkness what we've learned in the light. It's kind of the rhythm of the Christian journey. That nothing separates us from God's love. Even though our senses tell us we have been separated. And indeed, this is where we need each other. And we need to be a Jesus-centered community that doesn't give up on people. It's true that for many of us here, uh, five out of six, according to the research, uh, will never experience a severe bout of depression. Um, but we will know others, our brothers and sisters here at church, friends or family, work colleagues. And indeed, one of the things that Jesus calls us to do is to model him in loving others. And it's to that we now turn. What, what does it look like for me to love someone who is struggling with this? And I think as we consider how we care for each other, there is a key reality that we must first grasp before we take our first step. And this is not just in relation to those caught in depression. It, it's actually, I think, a general rule 
in any relational situation. Are you ready for it? Here it is. This is our little gateway. You cannot change another person. And there are no exceptions to that. I know you want to. You think you can. You desperately go to work. But in any relational dynamic, friendship, partner, husband, wife, work colleague, family member, you cannot change another person. And that core reality is a really helpful starting point for us. Can you be an encouragement to someone? Yes. Can you be a good friend to someone? Yes. Can you be a positive influence in someone's life? Yes. Can you change someone? No. The only person you have the power to change is yourself. And how you are relating, responding, and dealing with the situation. Uh, in the book that um, Alex and Beck were reviewing today, um, Jenny Brown writes these words. She says, Fortunately, I have gradually learned to appreciate from lessons learned from life and also my professional development that efforts to change another person are counterproductive and contribute to frustration and insecurity in a relationship. So as we're considering how we can be a loving community, what we are not trying to do is come up with ways to lift people out of depression, uh, because we don't have the power to do that. But what we can do is be an encouraging presence as someone walks their journey through dark times and take whatever small steps are needed for them. And with that conceptual entry point, I thought... I'd share just four potential practical ways that you and I can continue to foster a loving community here at 4pm. There's so many more, but here's just four ideas. And they're pretty broad, but the first one is this. Um, if we continue to grow and foster a willingness to ask someone how they are going and to be a loving support. Uh, that is, if you notice that a brother or sister has any kind of significant changes in behavior, increased frustration, isolating patterns, disconnection from life, then be a friend and have a chat with them. Find a space with a bit of time and ask them how they are going. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It's just loving. Mention perhaps the change in behavior you've noticed and be willing to listen without giving advice. And that's really hard. Be willing to listen without giving advice. Reflect back what you've heard them say to you. And if needed, encourage the person to seek some help. But again, asking them what they might plan to do and helping them decide on the first steps that they could take. Not the first steps you would take, because no one cares about what steps you would take. They care about where they're at and what steps they can take. And it's a really, it's a beautiful skill that we want to keep fostering in the way we can relate to each other and listen to each other 
and then encourage them to see what kind of steps they could take that could be helpful. Whilst you cannot change someone, you can be a loving presence that encourages them to take small steps that they themselves have come up with towards better health. So firstly, be willing to ask someone how they're going and be a loving support. Secondly, um, stay connected as, as much as you can. If we are supporting someone who is in the middle of depression, uh, it is helpful to remain connected with them in some way, even though in certain seasons they will seek to disconnect from you. Staying connected could mean a weekly text message or a phone call. Staying connected might mean an invite to go see a movie or to come around for dinner. Staying connected might mean offering just to give them a lift to church or say, why don't we go do this thing before church and then come along. I don't know. You guys are creative. You'll come up with more than just that. When someone is caught in depression, they will normally disconnect. They're not doing this because they don't like you. They are doing this because everything in their world is grey and they cannot really see the point in connecting. And whilst you cannot force connection, you can just regularly touch base. And this can be really important. Be willing to ask someone how they're going, be a loving support, stay connected if there is someone who really is struggling. Thirdly, we ourselves need to remain healthy and connected. Um, God himself has called a family, not individuals. And anyone who has ever supported someone through depression knows it can take a long time. And it can be really draining. Do you know when you're on an airplane, they've changed things. Nay and I went away two weeks ago. You know on the airplane they used to do the demonstration up front? I kind of love that. I felt it was just like a connection to another world but anyway, the one we went on, they don't do it anymore. They just had the video screen. No one watches it. That freaks me out too because I'm like, this is all our safety, everyone. Listen up. But um, anyway, I'm a bit of a, I don't fly that often, so I, I really get into it. But you know when, um, when there's a potential problem and oxygen masks drop from the ceiling, um, they always say, put your mask on first, then attend to others. And usually the picture they have is a parent with a child, someone who they deeply love, deeply care for, Put your mask on first, then attend to the child. This is not an act of selfishness, but rather it's actually an active expression of love. You can't help anyone else if you've passed out from lack of oxygen. So you need to have your oxygen so that you can love and care for those who are struggling. And I think it is the same as we seek to love and care for friends and family who are caught in depression. Self-care is particularly important. But often what happens in Christian circles is we write off self-care as being selfish or self-focused or self-obsessed. And sure, there could be some extremes where it is, it drifts into that. But for the most part, caring for yourself in a responsible way is actually a major way of worshipping and honouring God who has given you your body and your mind and your emotions. and Self-care is important as we care for others. And forming, I guess, I don't know what you want, a care team around the person is also really wise. Remembering God has designed us as an interconnected web of so many different things, each one of us. 
And taking our own health seriously allows us to care for those he places around us as well as making the most of our church family and perhaps encouraging others to be involved and to support. Fourthly, last one. I think it can be really helpful, and there's more to explore here, but I think it can be really helpful for us to learn how to hold the hope for someone. Learning how to hold the hope for someone else. Uh, I learned this term actually last semester when I was studying crisis counselling. Holding the hope for someone means you remind them in their darkness what you can see in the light. You remind them in their darkness what you can see in the light. The Apostle Paul wrote, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. God does not give up on us. And we need to remind each other of this daily, regardless of whether we're in a good or poor place. It's a great thing to remind each other of. You can say, I know that you don't feel God's presence right now, but let me hold on to the hope for you and just remind you what I can see. This is not going to produce any magic moments, uh, but it can be incredibly powerful in the long run. I mean, there's so many other ways that we can learn and grow and, and, and more to explore. And I'd love us to do this as a church community over the coming year. But be willing to ask someone how they're going and be a loving support. Stay connected with them. We ourselves stay attuned to our own health and connections. And we learn to hold the hope for someone. Four ways to care for those who are finding things too much or just finding themselves experiencing depression. Um, of course, if you are here today and you are right in the middle of a season of depression, um, then I want to just thank you for making it here today. And that itself is the victory. Just sitting with someone else is a victory. Um, you know, it's just incredible what human interaction can do. Um, I had a season uh, some years ago, and I won't tell the whole story, but I told a little bit of my story last week, but um, where for a little while I was on uh, some medication for depression, and that was helpful to a degree. There's much more to go on with my experience, but um, there was one day where I just didn't want to see anyone. I was very um, isolated, and I had a friend of mine, and I don't know if this is a good approach, so I'm not saying you should do the same thing, I'm just telling this particular story, and he said, I'm going to come around and see you. And I said, I don't want to see you. And he's like, no, I'm coming around. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't really want to hang out. I don't want to see you. I don't want to. And he's like, no, no, no I'll come around, I'll come around, it'll, it'll be fine. I'm like, look, I really don't want to hang out. Like, I just don't want this. Um, and that was the end of the conversation. And then like 15 minutes later, there's a knock on my door. <laughs> and he's like, hey, hey. And I was like super grumpy, because I'm just like, I don't want you to be here. You know, Ugh. And then he sort of comes in, and he just sort of sits down, and we chat for a while, and, um, you know, it didn't solve any of my problems, nor did it bring me out of the depression. But um, by the end of the 20 minutes that we hung out, half an hour, there was certainly a positive experience 
that I'd had. Um, and I found that intriguing. I don't think we should force ourselves on people all the time, but my experience in that moment was actually just that interaction with another human. The last thing that I wanted was actually something that brought some comfort. And so just getting even along here to church, um, even if you sit there and you say, I'm going to be grumpy for the whole night, I'm like, awesome. I love grumpy church people because <laughs> it means you've made it here. Like, that's fine. And, and, and again, you go like, oh, I have to turn up to church and I have to sing the songs and I have to like be happy. It's like, no, not at this church. Just turn up. If you're in a space, a season of encouragement, that's great. Be an encouragement. And, and speak into others' lives. And if you're in a season of real darkness and you're just like, oh, I'm just not feeling it, you, you're not feeling it. That's okay. You just sit in with us and you just be part of the family and that might be, that's a huge victory. And so if you are here this afternoon and you are facing a difficult time, then that's just the victory in itself and I praise God for that. And I hope that even just some human interaction this afternoon has been a blessing and I want you to know that you are loved by a God who is actually greater than any of us can fathom and humbly ask you, if you are in a season like this right now, to consider letting us walk with you um, through the darkness by even, if, if you have the courage, letting someone know how you're feeling and allowing yourself just to be loved um, and cared for. I'm not sure what each of our stories are, so many different stories even just here tonight, but I think real faith is messy because our lives are complex, and it's messy because our faith involves our whole person, warts and all. Real faith is messy because change is always hard, well not always, but often. But the God in whom our faith is located, uh, the one whom we know through Jesus, will finish what he has begun in each one of us. For I am convinced, wrote Paul, that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, any powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to pray and uh, I want to wrap up with a short prayer. And then some chance for any questions or comments we can have as, together as a family. Lord and Father, we thank you that um, you're a God who doesn't give up on us. And Lord, even now I've just got this image of uh, the prodigal son returning home and of the father running out to meet him and holding him and reinstating him in the family. Uh, and Lord, that was, that was a parable that you told about the character of our God. And so, Lord, I just, I thank you that that is who you are, and that's why we worship you. And I ask, Lord, that you might lead each one of us uh, to continue to grow up as a child of yours. If we are in a good season right now, Lord, we thank you for that, and we ask that you might give us the courage to bless others, to be a good listener, to be a support. Lord, if we find ourselves in a real dark place, I pray, Lord, that you might just help us to remember in the darkness what we have learned in the light. And please, by your spirit, lead us to stay connected where we can as we move through this. Uh, Lord, please continue to grow us as a family that love each other, that are honest, 
Yeah, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.